Savior, where we've been looking through the Psalms and uh, talking about the uh, different emotions we experience. You know, uh, we, we tend to think of these Bible folks as, you know, little flannel guys flat on a uh, flannel board, but these are real people with real emotions, real issues. And so in the Psalms, we can discover all the things to be able to relate to because we experience these things. Last week, we talked about the Psalm of Fear. Today, we're going to talk about a Psalm of Joy. This is Psalm 16 and can be found on the inside of your bulletin. Hear the word of the Lord. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed. I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The word of the Lord. Well, we get to talk about joy much better than talking about fear. Now, you may think that we're going to talk about happiness, but we're going to talk about joy, or are they the same? See, right now I'm extremely happy, and you know why? Because I got a dehydrator for my birthday. Okay? So, you know, some people, they want a tie, you know, a washing. I want a dehydrator because I love dried fruit. And so I brought a sample uh, yesterday I went to the grocery store, I got some mangoes, I got some bananas, apples, I think I even threw in a shoe, you know, whatever works, and let's just dehydrate it, you know, and let's see what happens. And so it's extremely tasty, I'm excited, you know, it's healthy, we're snacking, I'm one of the happiest people you can find right now. It's the simple things, really, when you think about it. You know, this happiness, it's very interesting, the Gallup Company has what they call the Happiness Index. And they take a variety of factors to try to figure out where the, you know, what makes someone happy and who are the happiest people. So they actually did these. Uh, they, they did a survey of a thousand people every day for two years, trying to figure out who would be the happiest person in America. And look at what they found. They came up with a statistical composite for the happiest person in America. Gallup said he's a tall Asian American observant Jew, who is at least 65 and married, has children, lives in Hawaii, runs his own business, and has a household income of more than $120,000 a year. Gallup tracked down this exact guy, Alvin Wong, who is 5'10", 69 years old, a Chinese-American, kosher observing Jew, who's married, lives in Honolulu, and runs his own business, making more than 120,000 years. When called, Mr. Wong said that indeed he was a very happy person. He said, perhaps he manages to be happy, the happiest man in America because my life philosophy is you, if you can't laugh at yourself, life is going to be uh, pretty terrible for you. And then he responded and said, this is a practical joke, right? <laughs> no, Mr. Wong, you indeed win the prize. You know, so if you want to be happy, it's very simple. 
be a tall Asian American <laughs> who's an Orthodox Jew who owns his own business. Well, there are a couple problems with that. Rodriguez is not an Asian American name. I don't live in Honolulu. I'm never going to be an observant Jew, and I certainly don't make $120,000 a year. So I guess I am disqualified for the happiest man in America. You know, what is the, happiness is very simple. Happiness is based on external things, isn't it? Psychology Today had an article about this, the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on circumstances. Different situations in your life, whether it's events, or people, or places, or things, even hopes. If you have hopes for your relationship and hopes for a future, you can very well be happy, even if they're delusional. Happy, deluded people. I've been there and done that. Probably still doing it right now. Happiness is not only present-oriented, but it's future-oriented. It's dependent on outside situations and people or events to align with your expectations so that the end result is your happiness. But what's joy? Joy is not happiness because joy is not external. Joy does not come from without. It rather comes from within. As the Psychology Today article said, joy comes when you make peace with who you are, where you are, why you are, and who you are not, and when you live in alignment with those things. I would add to that that joy comes when you know who you are, why you are, and whose you are. See, a big difference between happiness and joy is this. You can create happiness, but you can't create joy. Because joy is like at the end of the rainbow, isn't it? If you pursue it, you can never find it. Because you don't find joy. Joy finds you. Joy is a symptom. It's a symptom of something deeper. A symptom of something that this psalmist found. Look at some of the things that he says. That in your presence is fullness of joy. You make known to me the paths of life. He's saying that I have, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices. It seems that he's found this elixir called joy. Here's, a, here's what it is. Here's what my whole sermon is, uh, is about. Joy, you can't produce it. Rather, joy is a natural consequence of a decision to delight, to delight in God. Joy is the natural consequence of a decision to delight in God. Indeed, the greater the devotion, the greater the delight. Because joy is a symptom of that relationship with God. So the question is, how do we choose to experience this joy? We need to look at the psalmist here and what he wrote, because I think if we can unlock his heart, we can understand our heart. This psalmist really makes three decisions in this psalm. Number one, he makes a decision to devote. A decision of devotion of his life. But he also makes, number two, a decision of dependence. Not only devotion, but dependence. And based from those decisions, his third decision is this, a decision to delight. Devotion, dependence, and delight are the formulas for joy. Well, let's unpack this. Let's talk about this decision of devotion. You know, we hear this word devotion. It's actually, remember, the Psalms are in the Old Testament. And devotion was a very, very important word in the Old Testament. I was talking a little bit about baptism with Liz and how uh, the priest would sprinkle uh, these things uh, with blood, and he was devoting them to the Lord's service. He was devoting these various things. There were various foods that were supposed to be devoted, various sacrifices. Indeed, the Israelites themselves were supposed to be devoted to God. 
And there were these other groups, the Canaanites who lived in Canaan land, remember, who were repugnant to the Lord, who did awful things, who sacrificed their kids. And the Lord said that these people are supposed to be devoted to destruction. A ban was put on them. Rather than being devoted to holiness, they were being devoted to destruction. Indeed, the word devoted, harem in Hebrew, is from where we get the word harem. A harem, a group of women who are set aside for the king. Now, I've never been in a harem, so this is all theoretical. And as a pastor, I certainly don't have a harem. But you get the concept. People who have been set aside for a certain task, a certain purpose. And so if you remember the story of uh, when, when the Israelites are coming, and they've just uh, taken down the walls of Jericho, right? And they're going to attack this city called Ai. And these people are devoted to destruction. Well, they go ahead and they try to take the city, and they can't take it. And they figure out what's going on. We took Jericho, but we can't take this. And what they discovered was one of the soldiers, Achan, had gone ahead and taken just a couple of things, a gold wedge and a, a, a clothes, and he'd hidden it under his tent. And because they had not devoted everything to destruction, uh, death had come upon the Israelites. God is serious about devotion. And so this psalmist is serious as well. We can tell that he's devoted to devotion because of his declaration. First thing is the words. Listen to his words. Psalm 16:2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. See, devotion is declaration. I will say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have a friend of mine who's a religion major. Really neat guy. He knows a heck of a lot about religion. He knows a heck of a lot about Christianity. But there's a big difference between saying he's the Lord and he's saying, and saying he's my Lord. And that's what this psalmist is saying. He is my Lord. Indeed, I don't have any good apart from you. I'm declaring to you, God, I have no good apart from you. And he continues in verse 3 by saying, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. See, he not only declares his heart, he declares his crowd. Lord, I am declaring that I am devoted to your people as well. The people who love you, those are the people I love. I count myself as one of them. They are the excellent ones. And then we see in verse 7 and 8, where the psalmist says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. This word bless, remember, to bow the knee. Barak, Barak, Obama. To bless, I bless the Lord. I'm making a declaration to the world, to myself and to my people. Psalm 16, 8, because it is I who have set the Lord always before me, and because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. See, he's declaring, I've set the Lord before me. You know, my kids sometimes do this. They get in front of me when I go shopping or something, you know, and they're constantly in front of me. Well, this is a deliberate thing where the psalmist is setting God in front of him so he can't go around him. He's trusting him at his right hand where his strength is, is in God. He's declared that this is my God. That's his first step of devotion. But the second thing, other than declaration, is demonstration. It's not just his words that he's devoted to God, it's with his actions as well. Psalm 16:4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take, thy name, take their names on my lips. 
See, if devotion is declaration, devotion is also denial. See, when you're devoting yourself to something, you're always undevoting yourself to something, aren't you? And that's what the psalmist is saying. These who run after other gods, they will have sorrow. And indeed, their offerings of blood, their drink offerings, I will not pour out. I will not take their names on my lips. I will not be involved with the things that these people are involved with. I will not be devoted to their things. Rather, what he's saying is that I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. See, he's listening in the day and in the night for the counsel of the Lord so he can walk in a way that is in alignment with God's desires and purposes. He's declaring his devotion and he's demonstrating it in the way that he lives. You know, I'm trying to explain devotion to you and I thought to myself that I need to use a, another person, a great theologian, who probably could explain it better than I. So let's, let's listen to what she has to say.
But until you make the decision to hopelessly devote your heart to God, you're never going to get to the end of that rainbow. Because joy is not something we manufacture. It's a symptom and a consequence of something we decide. Joy is the natural consequence of a decision to delight in God. Well, the psalmist has made a decision to devote, and now the psalmist also makes a decision to depend. There's a big difference between dependence and devotion, isn't there? We kind of like to say that they're the same, but they're different. See, in devotion, you can come as a soldier. You know, I devote myself to you. But to depend, you come as a child. In devotion, you say, I will be faithful to you. But in dependence, you say, I really need you to be faithful to me. In devotion, you say, I will love you. But in dependence, you say, will you love me? In devotion, you say, I will die for you. But in dependence, you say, will you die for me? Devotion is offense. De uh, uh, dependence is defense. In devotion, we give God one strength. But in dependence, we give one our fears. Devotion is an act of faith, but dependence is an act of hope. In devotion, we come and bend the knee, but in dependence, we fall to our face. And so this one has made a decision to depend on God. He depends on Him for a variety of things. Number one, He depends on them for safety. Verse one, preserve me, O God, for I've taken my refuge in you. He's taken his refuge. You know, God is like this tower or building in which he sought shelter from the storm. And he's saying to God, protect me, for I am under you. And if you fail, I will fail as well. And then in verse 7, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. I put God as the source of my strength. And because I have done so, I will not be shaken. I look to you, God, for safety. He depends on God for safety, but he also depends on God for sustenance. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. See, there's the sustenance, you, my chosen portion. Is anyone upset that the great state went out of business, by the way? You used to love to go to the great state. All right, we've got one person in the back. In the great state, you would go and you would choose your kind of meat, okay? And you would go grill. You had an opportunity to choose what particular cut you wanted. But you had to make a choice, because it cost a lot of money. And what the psalmist is saying is that you, God, are my chosen portion. You are the one who's going to sustain me. Indeed, you hold my cup. You know, back in the day, there were no paper cups or glass cups. If you had a cup, you carried it around. And what the psalmist is saying is, my cup is you. And as I hold my cup out, you, you will fill me with what I need. You are my cup, you are my chosen portion, you're my sustenance, but you're also my inheritance. Notice, you're my portion and my cup, cup. you hold my lot. A lot is the dimensions, isn't it, of a particular piece of real estate. You know, my life's a bad lot. We've even used that term, haven't we? Well, I have a lot. But Lord, you hold my lot. Indeed, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance. See, he depends for his safety. He depends for his sustenance. He depends for his inheritance. And he also depends for his life. Verse 16.10, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. What does it mean, abandon your soul to Sheol? Sheol is the dwelling place of the wicked. 
In other words, God, you will not abandon me to this place of wickedness where I have chosen you. Nor will you let your Holy One see corruption. Now the psalmist understood that people die and their bodies do corrupt. So why is he saying that? He's saying it because of his hope in the resurrection. That God, even though my fleshly nature will assail me, you will make me rise. You will resurrect me. You will transform me into the person. You will give me life. See, he devotes himself to him, but he declares himself, devotes himself to him, but he depends on him for everything. He gives up all to God in hopes. You know, I love, uh, I see this all the time with my kids. You know, if you have kids, you can get a picture of this dependence, can't you? You know, my kids don't worry at night that somebody's going to get in the house. You know, they don't batten down the hatches. They just go to bed and they relax. Why? Because dad's got it. It's dad's house. Dad is watching the perimeter. He's got us. So we are safe. They're dependent without even thinking about it. But I'm also their sustenance. Okay, as soon as we go home, you know, I can end up being the hero here if my sermon's good. I'm going to get home and you know what my kids are going to say? What's for lunch? Well, we're going to have peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter and jelly. Can't we, Baba? We want to go to Moe's. We want to blah, 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 blah. But they never say, are you going to feed me? Because they know that I am. They depend on me for sustenance. They depend on me for this grand inheritance that I'm going to give them. All the Rolls Royces and the Ferraris and the, the house in Naples. They're excited about that that is going to be coming. No, they know that all that I have belongs to them. And they depend on me for life. They depend on me as a little child coming along to be safe and to take care of them and to launch them. See, kids understand dependence. They're all in. But as we get older and we realize that our parents are not all loving and all forgiving and we get dinged up by the world, it's hard to stay dependent, isn't it? Because dependence is scary. You know, devotion, that's easy. But dependence is scary. There are a lot of people in this room. There are a lot of people in the world that are strong, devoted Christians. You know, they read the Bible and they know the verses and they do the work and they're a part of things. They're devoted. But they're not dependent. Why? I think it's because if I don't bring anything to God, He's not going to bring anything to me. Or maybe He's going to let me down if I go to Him. So I'll give but I'll not take too much. No, no, no. See, that's what's going on. You may know God is your Lord, but you don't know Him as your Father. Until we devote our lives to Him, and until we depend on Him, we can only know Him as Lord and not Father. So how do you know if you depend on Him? Number one, who's your safety? Who are you looking to, to protect you, and to watch the perimeter Number two, who's your sustenance? Who are you going to go home to and say, feed me? I need for you to take care of me. Where's your inheritance? At the end of the day, when we've won or lost in this life, and we go into that coffin with nothing, we came in with nothing, we go out with nothing, where is our hope in the resurrection? Our hope for the life that we desire? See, to understand joy... We have to depend. We have to jump out of the plane. We have to be like a child. For it's only when we depend 
that we can truly see and experience the joy that God has for us. Because joy is a symptom of a relationship with God. Joy is the natural consequence of a decision to delight in God. Well, the psalmist, he devotes himself to God. He also depends on God. And the result is he delights in God. Because devotion plus dependence equals delight. It's a natural extension. Look at verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. See, he's made his decision. He's jumped out of the plane. You're not only my king, you're my dad. And so his heart, therefore, his heart is glad. And his whole being rejoices. All of me is rejoicing. You know, this word rejoice, it actually means to enjoy the possession of. I have God, and I am enjoying Him. It's beautiful to be all in, isn't it? When you put everything in, all your hopes and dreams. And that's what this person has done, and God delivers. So he experiences the joy of total surrender. Verse 16, uh, uh, verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, when we give our heart to the Lord in devotion and declaration, the path appears. The path to life that few find because few are willing to devote and delight and depend on Him to the degree that He asks. Your presence is fullness of joy. And you know why joy is a consequence? Because at the end, what we're looking for is not joy. But at the end, what we're looking for is God. See, joy is just a symptom. Jesus is not the means to the end. He is the end. He's the one that we've been looking for. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. It's the presence of the Lord. If you want to love God simply for what you're going to get, you've missed it. That's just mercenary. It's not even worship. It's a trade. No, at your right hand, there are pleasures evermore. See, joy is different. Can you be unhappy and joyful at the same time? Absolutely. There's some things in my life I'm very unhappy about because my external circumstances go up and down. Yet even in happiness and yet even in unhappiness, I can have joy. If you choose to follow happiness, you'll always be unhappy. But if you choose to follow God, you will have joy. You know, when I go to my office, it's very interesting. I have this set of keys here. The only problem is they all look the same. You know, why wouldn't people make keys that look different from one another? Every key, like a footprint, you know, like a fingerprint. Okay, they all look the same. And so what happens is I'm fumbling through these keys that all look the same. And so I'll insert, but it doesn't fit. Okay, so I pull it out, insert another one, it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. Until finally I find the one that it fits. See, the truth be told, our life is just like this key. We've been designed for one purpose, to fit one lock. We're designed to devote. We're designed to depend. We're designed to worship. And this key only fits in one place. See, when you try to take this key and you put it in different places, you know, if I, this guy, you know, if I plug it in, it's going to fit. You know, if I get this job and I turn the key, it's all going to line up. If I looked better, or if I had better self-esteem, if I push it in and turn the key, it's going to fit. But you know, truth is, often we just make it fit, don't we? 
We jam it in there, but it's uncomfortable. It doesn't sit right. We're deluding ourselves. It doesn't matter how hard we push it. It doesn't matter. At the end, we know that our heart is not satisfied. And what God is saying here is by devoting and by depending is to take your key out of whatever it's in and to push it all the way in to God. But what if it doesn't fit? What if I take it out of there and I put it over there and it doesn't fit? How can we have the guts to go ahead and do that? See, I think the reason we can have the guts to do that is because we're not only looking for the lock, the lock is looking for us. See, God is the one who is coming to us and saying to us that I am looking for you. And so God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to show us the way. How can we be devoted to God? Because Jesus Christ was devoted to God. Jesus Christ was the one who declared that you are my God. In front of everyone else, when everyone else was uh, running away, he declared himself. He demonstrated his devotion to God, even by going to the cross. See, as God has devoted us to life, he devoted Jesus Christ to destruction. Why? Because our key was in the wrong lock. The lock that led to death. And so this one, Jesus was devoted so much to you and me and to God that he devoted himself to destruction. We can devote ourselves to God because he devoted himself to us. We can depend on God because Jesus depended on God. See, when everybody else said, run, Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, take this cup, but your will be done. Lord, I know that I'm going to have to go to the cross because I want these people to come, but it's going to hurt. But Lord, I trust that you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not abandon me to the grave of the wicked. And as he was faithful and he depended on God, God depended on him and raised him from the dead. See, the reason you and me, you and I can depend on God is because he's utterly dependable. We can delight in Christ because he delights in us. His love is not temperamental. It doesn't change. Jesus is the one who devoted to us. Jesus is the dependable one, and he is the source of our delight. And so I conclude simply with this thought. We're all devoting ourselves to something. We all have a key, putting it in some place. The key only fits in the heart of God. When we make a decision to devote, we're on the path to joy. We all depend on someone for our safety, our inheritance, our hope, our life. <coughs> Jesus says, I am the door. If you open this door with the key of faith, I will walk in and I will be with you. Joy is the natural consequence of a decision to delight in God. And the deeper your devotion to God, the greater delight you will experience in Him. Because He is not the means to the end. He is the end itself. Let's pray. Lord, we're hopelessly devoted to you. Where else can we go? Who else has the very words of life? Lord, truth be told, we devote ourselves to a lot of things. We give our declarations to things and our demonstrations of our lives to things that have no business being Lord over us and they hurt us and give us pain. Lord, I pray that you would show us your beauty 
to show us you are dependable, that we could see the cross and your resurrected life as you speak to us by faith. And we could joyfully jump out of the plane and say, with all I have and all that I am, I commit myself to you. And we, like this psalmist, could be walking on the path of life, rejoicing to be in your presence, feeling the pleasures of your right hand forevermore. Lord, that is my prayer for myself and for people here, Lord. By God's grace, let it be so. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.